This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Harry Kim on Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 6 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're going to be revisiting someone who we spoke to uh, earlier in the series, and that is John D.F. Black. Mm -hmm. He was a producer and writer on the original series um, in the early part of Season 1. He had written... The Naked Time, and uh, basically his job on the original series was to sort of maintain a, a certain level of consistency among the, the scripts, making sure that these writers who, were, who had never seen Star Trek before in many cases were capturing the, the voice of the show, and uh, in an effort to do so, he rewrote um, numerous scripts from early on in season one. And uh, The Naked Time is the, the only one that he's credited on for the original series, although he is also credited in season, or in season one of Next Generation for having written both The Naked Now and Justice. We also know from a conversation with him that uh, he had his hand in a lot of other things yeah. that he wasn't credited with just because that's the nature of television and his job there yes the craziest most implausible job imaginable on star trek Mm -hmm. and he wrote for a ton of television shows over the years including uh the untouchables combat uh, the fugitive laredo the virginian mary tyler moore the bill cosby show mission impossible uh, Hawaii Five O, Streets of San Francisco, Charlie's Angels, and Murder She Wrote, and he also wrote the screenplay for the movie Shaft. So he's had a, a very, very long and uh, uh, illustrious career, and he has also written one pilot for a show which he developed himself, as far as I can tell. Maybe maybe he, he wrote more, but looking at his IMDb credit, credits, the only time that I see uh, where there was a, a case of him essentially creating a show, maybe it's not technically creating since it's from a pre-existing property, is the show that we're going to be talking about today, which is Wonder Woman. Um, now, this was is not the Linda Carter show. It is a different show, which only lasted one episode. The but not the other Wonder Woman pilot that only lasted No, not, one not the David E. Kelly show. <laughs> well, that didn't even last one episode. That just never aired. Right. But this they aired as a TV movie in the hopes of it becoming a show. And that didn't happen. But they did end up redoing it and 
the new pilot, which uh, Black wasn't involved with, ended up becoming the show that lasted for three seasons. Um, so essentially, this is the Wonder Woman's cage. Yeah. 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 Just a weird but strangely fitting concept. Yes. <laughs> Given the uh, creator's um, interests. Not John D.F. Black, but um, uh-huh. Wonder Woman's creators. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, this is the version. It, it starred Kathy Lee Crosby. And um, it aired in 1974. Now, Wonder Woman is an interesting property in general, uh, and one which is kind of hard to put a finger on. What did you think about, or what do you think about Wonder Woman on the whole? Have you read a lot of Wonder Woman comics? No, I haven't read a lot of Wonder Woman. But, I mean, um, I recall in my my younger years there was a... there was occasionally a, a, a flare-up of DC Marvel tensions yeah. in the comic book fandom world. Mm-hmm. And I and I recalled usually thinking that it was kind of silly, but always thinking in the back of my mind, if I had to pick a side, I would probably be DC. Yes. And that's there's a million different reasons for it. But Wonder Woman was never really one of them. Yeah. Because I've always thought of her history as being kind of awkward. Because her creator, her like actual creator, whose name I can never remember. It's William Moulton Marston. Marston? Is it Marston? Yes. I always, I always want to say like Morston or Merston. Yeah, you would be wrong. But it's, yeah, it's weird. But he literally intended to make an iconic character. He was trying to actually design a mythical character that would, would be part of the, the, the pantheon of, of archetypes. Mm-hmm. That was his actual intention. And the idea that he then made Wonder Woman and then she became part of the DC's like big three. And like, I, I still always think of it as being kind of forced. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Wonder Woman had the history that like Superman or Batman had to give the, her the, the, the mythic dimensionality that's required. She always felt kind of awkwardly more ambitious than she had the the, the resources to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And basically every incarnation of Wonder Woman, I see the exact same problem, which is she's just not complicated enough. I mean, maybe. I don't know. There's there's a lot of weird stuff um, regarding the history of this character and the history of Marston in general, you know, I mean, he's... Well, the Marston story is easily a much better story than the Wonder Woman story. Her entire history is, you know, like, oh, she was made by a... She was magically created out of clay. I mean, that's kind of weird. And then, like, you know, Marston's story, it's like, oh, lie detector. He two, cre- two married, basically, to two women. Um... He, he, Lots of S and M stuff in there, right? He, <laughs> for, I mean, kind of. That's it's skipping ahead a little bit, I guess. But just for people who aren't aware, it's not skipping ahead. Well, Marston is uh, a very interesting guy. He was a psychologist who invented the lie detector, the, the polygraph machine, and he also um, was very interested in things like 
bondage and stuff like that. And the thing um, is, the thing is, people who are into that kind of thing normally it's not noteworthy. Uh, yeah, no, but no, this no. guy made it like his life's mission. Well, he he incorporated it into this character and everything, and you know he's also, um, you know, he was a really big feminist, um, essentially, and that's why that's what led him to creating Wonder Woman. You know, was the lack of of strong female characters in comic books, and yeah, he based the character on, I I think it was a student of his. It was. He and his wife's girlfriend. Right, who I think was also a student of his. So so that's kind of the history of Marston. And um, you can see a lot of that, obviously, in Wonder Woman, you know, like the lasso of truth, for example. Yeah. Uh, which, for those people who don't know, is a lasso which she, you know, throws around someone in order to make them tell the truth, you know? Yeah, um, keep... Keep running that through your brain. So you got a lie detector, you got bondage, you got everything there. Um, it's all good. So, so that's that's the guy who created Wonder Woman. And yep. now, how do you take all of that stuff and turn it into a weekly show for television? Now, I mean, for me personally, with Wonder Woman, I'm I'm a big comic book fan. I'm a big DC fan, and Wonder Woman is something which never really connected with me because the um I, I never watched the show the linda carter show i never really saw that um, my exposure to her was initially through the comic books um which were written in the 90s so i guess this would be like the john byrne era wasn't really tremendously fond of them and uh but it did have its points it did have high points well, i i didn't see any of those but i i mean honestly i haven't I'm not that familiar with it because I, you know, read it and, you know, read an issue here or there and was like, oh, this isn't working for me and didn't read it, any more of it. So most of my exposure to Wonder Woman has been essentially in like Justice League comics. So you're seeing her as part of like a team dynamic, but um, it's a weird character because I, it's so otherworldly in a sense and and i know that that sounds weird when you're talking about like a franchise which involves people like superman but or you know literal many different characters that go from universe to universe on a regular basis yeah i mean like like superman you know with with, with superman like he's he's a a tourist compared to some of these guys he's he's otherworldly (laughs) but she is kind of like a foreigner to, you know, unlike Superman where he, you know, comes to, to this planet when he's a kid and was basically raised in uh, Kansas. Wonder Woman is this mythological being who is definitely like a fish out of water when it comes to, you know, present day America. And yeah, there's something about that, something about sort of the uh, the arch style of of the the Greek myths and stuff like that in the way that they're presented, which just clashes so much with uh, you know modern comic books that I have trouble connecting to her as a person. Well, I mean, it's kind of the same problem Thor has. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, yeah, I mean, it's exactly the same problem that Thor has. But, I mean, it's not. It's actually not an unusual problem for comic books. I mean, like, honestly, the, like I almost every character 
in comic book history that isn't one of the most iconic. Mm-hmm. He, he is probably kind of strangely out of place in the comic book world. I mean, like Aquaman, bizarrely out of place in the comic book world. But see, that's the thing. The thing that has always been sort of weird to me is the fact that she is so iconic. And I guess it's just sort of a matter of time and place. See, I think that I, I don't think it is a matter of time and place, and I don't think that she is that iconic. I think that she was intended to be. Uh-huh. And I think that because she has the pieces of an iconic or mythically scaled character, people have put her there because she does superficially seem like she belongs there. Mm-hmm. But there is, but if you look through the character's history, you see these weird periods where, like, they essentially got lost. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, like, I can see her being there from a historical standpoint in that she came around in 1941, which was just a couple years after Batman and Superman. So she was part of the big three. She was the first, you know, real female superhero in terms of any sort of practical sense. And all of that makes sense. First big time one. Yeah. For sure. But the problem is that over the years... I don't think anyone really knows how to deal with her. And as a result, she hasn't had all of the iconic stories throughout her history. She hasn't had a Dark Knight Returns or, you know, a a Birthright or, or any of those things. She's just sort of been around. Well, I mean, like, I, I, I mean, as a as a person who enjoys, you know, analyzing things from this point of view, like, I actually like to look at Wonder Woman's history of uh, of essentially like aimless storytelling as being kind of a representation of how men don't really get women well, that's part of it too but i mean because the, there's a period there's a big chunk of time where she didn't have any magical powers and she was literally just a spy uh-huh. and i find that unbelievably fascinating like there's like there was a point where somebody was like uh, writing a Wonder Woman comic, and they were watching an episode of The Avengers, and they were like, "I could see Wonder Woman with a gun. That would work. That would work. Let's get the let's get the magic rope out of here and do something else for a while." And and it makes a lot of sense that people are trying to make her an interesting character and a, and, a, and, a, and a powerful woman, and they don't really know how to do that without making her either into a man or a dominatrix. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now I mean you. I, I, I don't know. I mean, has, I mean, there, there are very few female writers in comic books, of course. You know, that's just the way these things work, unfortunately. But, you know, there are some, like Gail Simone. Has she ever written for Wonder Woman? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see her take, although I think a lot of people are appreciating what's currently going on in the series, which is right now being written by Brian Azzarello, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people who think that that's the best of the the new fifty two DC comics. Out I'm there. not surprised. I've always thought that there was like the right person could easily make it really good. Yeah, but um, it's is weird because you know, kind of like we were saying, like um, if you say like, what are the best Batman stories? What you know, what are the ones which are considered to be the best in terms of Batman stories? What what are the iconic Batman stories? And you can say, oh, Dark Knight Returns, Killing Joke, Year One, uh, Hush, uh, Long Halloween. No, I'm not saying (laughs) that these are what I. These are things that people. These are things that people come up with. Those are the ones that that just jump, uh, you know, to the top of of 
people's heads. You, know? you don't have to agree with them, but you know that if you ask a room full of comic book nerds, these are the things. These are the ones say. that are going to come up. You know, Superman. You've got whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. You've got All Star Superman. You've got, you know, Superman Year One now or whatever it's called. Superman's kind of all over the place. Earth you could, you could yeah. argue that basically every annual event was a pretty good Superman story. Yeah, and then you get to Wonder Woman, and it's like, well, what is there? And you know, I even did like a a search. You know, like I just I just typed into Google. You know, and and just for comparison, I'm like best Batman stories, and the same titles always come up. Best Superman stories always get the same titles, and then you get best Wonder Woman stories, and there's a lot of people going like, huh, yeah, I don't know. And the one that people come up with, the one that sort of consistently jumps to the top of the list, is some weird random straight up graphic novel which in which she basically the justice league is whatever in in peril and she needs to save them okay and the thing about that story and this is so telling to me on so many levels is people are like this is the best wonder woman story it's it's billed as a justice league story it's not credited as you know i mean like you know most of these stories are like batman the Long Halloween, All-Star Superman, you know, this is Justice League, uh, and I forget the name of the title, you know, but um, it's like that's considered to be the best Wonder Woman story, and people are like, oh, well, it's totally a Wonder Woman story, it's not a Justice League story, they're just in it, but they're just, you know, sort of like the MacGuffins or whatever, or the damsels in distress, but it's a Wonder Woman story, but it's like the story which is considered to be the best Wonder Woman story isn't even... A Wonder Woman solo story. That's crazy, you know? It's not that crazy. It's just weird that, that that's how it works out. I mean, you, you would never even consider that if you were talking about Batman or Superman because there's so many other solo stories to choose from. Yeah, and ultimately, honestly, the, the, I mean, the fault lies with the fans because, you know, if, if we demanded that Wonder Woman be were treated the same way as other male characters it would be an entirely different scenario and ultimately it actually is about her being a woman i mean that that is a big part of it you know but i do place some of the blame on dc for not making the effort well i mean you have to blame you have to blame everyone involved you have to blame dc for not forcing its audience to change yeah i mean but like that's sort of the 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 burden that you put on artists in general if you're if you are an artist and you're not at least telling your audience, we're going to alienate some of you, but please come with us. We're going somewhere. That's necessary. If you're not doing that, then you're, you're, you're failing as artists. And DC has, you know, like most companies that make art, consistently failed on a lot of different levels. Yeah. And every once in a while, they do a good job. And every once in a while, you know, they do a much, much worse job than usual. But, you know, like it is sort of part of the same thing. And Wonder Woman is a symptom of of the problem of comic books being entirely, you know, ridiculously dominated by rather strange, strangely immature men. Yes. Who aren't really comfortable with women in power. For the record, that uh, Justice League story that everyone loves uh, is called uh, JLA, A League of One, and it was written and I think drawn by Christopher Moeller. Okay, so it's it's kind of been established that this is a a, a tough nut to crack, and, and and honestly, the 
the only story, the the first time that I ever like really responded to Wonder Woman, um, maybe the only time I did was the Wonder Woman um, animated movie that DC did, uh, Warner Brothers Animation did, um, which was basically her origin story. That actually I thought was really good. I have no idea what that is. Uh, it's just you know how DC does their their animated um, features. Yeah, they they did one for Wonder Woman. It's just a straight origin of the character, and uh, it's pretty good. I think probably uh, whatever the continuity was at that particular time, so pre New Fifty Two continuity. But yeah, it's it's a pretty solid uh, movie, and and I think also since Wonder Woman is such a weird character, and that she's had so many incarnations and everything. If you want to get an idea of how she is in the comics, uh, that that movie is probably a good baseline for you so there's that um what's it called wonder woman ah yeah that's simple yeah that makes things easier yeah it has uh carrie russell as the voice of wonder woman what yeah that's weird that's good it's a weird choice all right so now all that that lead up here we are 1974 and John D.F. Black tries to develop uh, Wonder Woman for the small screen. And you have the problem, which you have with pretty much every um, superhero show which is on TV, which is that you don't have a movie budget to work with on a weekly basis. And you can't just make it, you know, superheroes running around all willy-nilly, you know, for the entire time you've got to essentially strip it down and make it you know manageable make it into a manageable drama weekly drama you know so that's why you get things like lois and clark where it's all about you know their relationship oh God, and then don't blame lois and clark Superman on television shows budgets <laughs> jeez that is so I, that is ridiculous Ridiculous. Hey, I, I like Lois and Clark. You shouldn't. As a person, you well, should detest Lois and Clark because it's an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. I like it. And by the way, pilot for Lois and Clark, directed by Robert Butler, the yeah. who directed The Cage. So anyway, um, so so John D. F. Black decides to uh, to tackle Wonder Woman, and his take is an interesting one. Now. Would you want to sort of give a, a synopsis of not not really the movie, but of the concept for this incarnation? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't I, I just need to just deal with something here? The, you cannot say that you need to make a t- superhero TV show in a stripped down form. I think well, that's absurd. What I mean by that is, if you say, "Hey," I'm doing a Wonder Woman TV show, and you look at the comic, and you were to just, let's say, take the comic and use that as a script for the show. That would never work, because monetarily, it would never work. So you need to find a way of taking that concept and um, doing it in the constraints of a TV budget and schedule. Yes, but you don't actually need to do that. 
at all because I mean any adaptation you you can't just do a one to one translation. Well, no. So, but like like the the difference between TV and comic books is not one of budget or scope. It's of what you have, and what you have is a bunch of people, and you don't actually need to tear away anything about the character. You just need to recognize what it is, and you don't really need to have action in order for it to be a superhero show. You don't need to have, like, even, you know, people running in order for it to be a superhero show. You just need to tell the stories mostly about the points in the story where people talk in a room. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem that people run into is when they try to deal with the that transition and they try to, like, somehow force the scope back into this other format that doesn't support it. And that's classic adaptation flawed thinking. Okay, so what do you think about this adaptation? I think this adaptation is about as smart as I've seen. Okay. I have seen a lot of a lot of adaptations of comic books into TV shows and most of the time I am shocked by how stupid it is. Mm-hmm. This one wasn't that stupid. It didn't really work. Yeah. But, like, the pieces really seemed intelligent. It really seemed like somebody thought it through. Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I wasn't quite as fond of it as, as you were. I um, fond of it. Well, I'm just saying, like, maybe I wasn't as impressed by the adaptation as you were. Because um, what, what I saw was more of a... Um, almost they, they kind of said, like, okay, well, let's take that concept she's wonder woman she's from uh where is she from she's from the uh, the uh, is it called is it called themiscara i think that that's or is that one of their okay all right i couldn't remember if that was the name of one of her friends or if that was the name of the anyway um so so they had that. They're like, okay, she's one room and she's coming to, you know, just the concept of like... Technically a magical location. She's she's an Amazon who comes from, you know, an island which is inhabited solely by women. And she is going to man's world as sort of an ambassador uh, because man's world needs help. You know, men are not good at running worlds. And they need uh, uh, that 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 feminine touch to come in and straighten them out, right? I mean, that's the basic concept of Wonder Woman in terms of her origin, and they have that in here. And she is essentially constructed. Okay, yeah, but they don't really have that in, in this so much. She's no. just there. Um, so so, but this doesn't really delve deep into her origins at all. It pretty much has like one scene. Where you see her, you know, and her mom is like, you got to go do this. And she's like, all right, let's do it. And then it cuts to her in her sort of um, secret identity, which isn't really a secret so much. And she's uh, posing as basically a secretary for um, an intelligence officer of some sort. And basically... she's going by Diana. Diana Diana Prince? Prince, yeah. And and the intelligence officer basically um, is using her as a covert agent outside of the the um, supervision of the government or anything like that. She is going off on her own to solve crimes. 
Well, this is actually during the period of her Wonder Woman's comic book history where she was 99% just a spy. Okay, see, I was never aware of that existing in the comics. But so I guess it's true to that current incarnation of the... I guess there's nothing really like wrong about it. Like it doesn't actually not fit. Like you can you can make the argument that that Wonder Woman easily she you know puts on a different set of clothes. Yeah, could easily be a spy because she doesn't have the problem of a lot of people by you know looking like a superhero when she walks into the room. Yeah, but the other thing about it, which is weird in this adaptation, is that it uh, seems to take away a lot of her trademarks you know i mean they do mention the invisible jet you know and everything but like she doesn't have the lasso of truth i think the jet is actually not that commonplace i think it has shown up in a lot of different places mainly because of how crazy it was yeah in like one or two things sure but it's definitely become part of the iconography you know but there is no Mm -hmm. lasso um her costume is um not very similar at all to what it looks like in the comics. Well, it's a spy costume. Yeah, I guess so. Although not very covert when you think about it. Well, what, what you gotta you've gotta balance covert properties with style. I guess so. You don't want the enemy to think that you know you're 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 dressing your your agents in drab clothing. I guess not. You want them saying like, yeah, yeah, she's foiled us. Mm-hmm. She looked great. Yeah. And she wasn't even really that super-powered. No. This, I mean, this is during the period where she literally was just a spy. So, like, even in that period, she didn't, like, fly or... No, she... As I understand it, she actually did not have powers at that point. I don't know exactly how that happened. I don't know if it was, like, somebody stripped away her powers for a dramatic purpose and then, like, somebody else thought, I'll just deal with that because that seems fun or if they literally like just took her powers away in order to make her into a spy but like there was this period of time where basically that's what she was she you know she had a a, a bond type gun and she uh, did bond type things yeah there were a lot of gadgets and yeah. everything um like her her bracelets which in the comic book are magical bracelets which can do things like deflect bullets and stuff like that here she just used them as like grappling hooks and explosive devices or something Mm -hmm. so okay um i i don't know i found that to be kind of weird but maybe there was a history for it in the comics that that makes it make sense now what did you think about the episode itself because it does have sort of an interesting story um but it was was to me really interesting about it and maybe this is just sort of the nature of television at the time is it's not like today's pilots where it's like this is the origin of wonder woman we are going to establish who this character is and everything it really is like this is what a typical episode is going to be like you know she's going to be fighting crime and uh there's going to be you know like a bad guy who's trying to maybe not necessarily take over the world but you know gain massive amounts of wealth and and everything and and uh you know innocent lives are in danger and all this stuff it's basically the same plot as the first mission impossible in in some sense yeah and 
the criticism people have of that, of that movie was that it's kind of hard to know why things are happening. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't really seem to warrant, you know, channel, high-speed train, lots and lots of cars exploding, lots of shooting. It doesn't seem to warrant that. Mm-hmm. And so does this too. This also doesn't doesn't seem to warrant that. But that doesn't happen. No. I mean, there's, there's some weird stuff with, like, donkeys and a few other things. But yeah, there's a donkey show right in the middle of it. Yeah. I, I will say, though, in terms of her powers, it does seem like they give her super strength, at least a little bit. She's she's stronger than most people. Yeah. But yeah. That, that's the one thing. But anyway, yeah, I mean, this this episode, it's, it's strange. I mean, did you, th- did you enjoy the story? No, not really. No. But I mean, like that's not unusual. Like, uh, I I really don't like TV pilots. I, generally speaking, I, I I have come to expect a good pilot to be a bad sign and a bad pilot to be a good sign. But this is not your usual pilot. No, but the same principle applies. Like this pilot being kind of um, awkward and labored. There's something oddly seventies about the way that the story is structured in that it seems unreasonable, un- unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. And that's strange considering that like when you think about like older TV shows, you think about like, you know, simpler characters and simpler stories and simpler interactions. At some point in the seventies, they went the complete opposite direction where like everything had a million different characteristics and every story had like seven twists when like there you don't need anything close to that mm-hmm. i don't know what happened there i don't know what movie was inspiring all of this unnecessary complication but it's it's interesting but like this pilot if this is an indicator of the stories it kind of feels awkward yeah because like the story in itself isn't like you know dramatic enough to be particularly compelling and its complication isn't it isn't a puzzle. It isn't. It isn't like complicated because you need to figure it out. It's complicated just because, like you know, nobody was keeping it simple. It, it, it's complicated in the way that, like, uh, you know, like tracking down a, a street gang is complicated because they don't have any like strict, organized, rigid hierarchy that you can follow, which makes it less dramatic when you stop them. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't. Um, there's a weird thing, like. I know this seems like the obvious comparison to make, but when I was watching this, I really Charlie's Angels. felt like I was watching Charlie's Angels. Yeah, I, no, I don't think that's an obvious comparison. I think that's the comparison that they were making. No, I mean, it, 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 I forget, did Charlie's Angels already exist or not? I don't think so. Um, they would have been around the same time, but I don't think they existed yet. I think they came in like a, a couple of years later. Yeah, and of course, uh, Black wrote for Charlie's Angels as well. He even directed it. Charlie's Angels, um, I think, it was afterwards. Um, but he like even t- I think a couple of years. I think it was seventy six. Yeah, seventy six. So two years after, hmm. um, he even uh, directed an episode of Charlie's Angels, which is the um, only thing he's ever directed in his career. So that's cool. But yeah, to me, I, I don't think the story really worked either. Uh, and if this is the type of story that they were telling, I could definitely see, you know, some being good and some being bad, but 
I didn't, but but it, it, it seems like it would be more about sort of like these crazy adventures and, you know, just kind of like having a fun time watching a spy do cool things as opposed to anything of any substance. I find it hilarious that at some point people thought that it might be fun to watch a spy do spy stuff. Oh, I I think that in general it is fun to watch spies do spy stuff. Spies' entire job is deceptive and manipulative yeah. and rather dark. Yeah. Spy life should not be entertaining. It should be it should be hard to watch. Maybe, but that can also be entertaining. Regardless, I did not find this to be tremendously entertaining. Um, you know, I'm with you in that uh, I would like to have seen what they were going to do with the show. And I would have watched um, another few episodes at least to see how they turned out before making final judgment. But as a standalone movie, and uh, I think aside from animation, the first live-action incarnation of Wonder Woman, this one doesn't really work for me. Yeah, yeah, that, that that holds up. I mean, like, you know, but, you know, considering the times, I mean, like, the comparison to Charlie's Angels, I think, is very favorable, because after watching, the, you know, an episode of Charlie's Angels, you go, I'd never want to see this ever again. This is unbelievably tedious. And this, I was like, I would watch more. I mean, I, I, I didn't... I want to know where they're going. I, I've only seen the pilot for Charlie's Angels as well, and... I did not enjoy that either, but I would definitely check out more Charlie's Angels um, because I could see potential there as well. Really? Yeah. Because I tried to grind for some Charlie's Angels. There, there seems, it does not. There seems to be... Uh, uh, Charlie's Angels seems to have a slightly better sense of humor than this does. Okay. But, see, m- maybe that's true, but it is way less clever. Maybe. But I mean, it, it, I wonder. I, since uh, Black did write for Charlie's Angels uh, later on, I wonder if any of those stories were things that he had planned for Wonder Woman, and I, I wonder how they compare. So, like we were saying, a year later, Wonder Woman did make it to the to the small screen with the Linda Carter show, and that lasted for three years. Uh, it has a very big uh, cult following. And yeah. to a lot of people, that is Wonder Woman. Now, I've never seen that show. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. And what what do you think about that show? First off, what, what were the differences Oh, in terms of the concept? See, that's tricky because I don't remember it that well. Okay. I was a kid. I know, I know originally, um, I, think, I think it was just season one or whatever, was set during World War II and then... Later on, they moved it up to the present day. Yeah, I don't know how they did that. <laughs> well, I don't know how they did that either, but that's, uh, that is what they did originally. But I do remember that like she, she lives in, in what would be the present day, and she has friends. Mm-hmm. And she also has a secret ident- identity as Wonder Woman. And she would... I mean, like the, the motivations are, are actually kind of strange. Like, uh, I don't exactly know how her day job fits into her other parallel day job because she doesn't really go out at night come to think of it but um like she she would encounter bad guys in in life mm-hmm. on a fairly regular basis and need to use her wonder woman abilities to foil them and uh she would do this by spinning and and doing a cut she would be 
Wonder Woman. Well, you know, it's cool. Yeah, I don't know if she was a spy, but I don't think she was. Okay. I don't think she was a spy in that show. Well, I mean, the, the, you know, that was that was the first. It's actually a lot like the Bionic Woman. Yeah. In the sense that, like, you're watching a woman with superpowers, but you're not entirely sure why they're doing this. Okay. So, so we had that incarnation, and then we had another one, which was, uh, you know, just recently they've been trying to get it onto the uh, onto TV again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a a concept called um, I think it was called Amazon, right? Something, something along those lines, that was being written by I want to say Alan Heinberg, who uh, wrote for the OC, and he's written some comic books and stuff like that. It's Wonder for, Woman's Smallville. Yeah, he wrote for Sex in the City and stuff like that. That was that was a, a project which was de- being developed at one point, and then one which actually uh, had a pilot shot for it was a Wonder Woman show, which was uh, developed by David E. Kelly. This is the interesting one. It's the one that doesn't really work, but the most interesting one. Yeah, and um, that's kind of like she's not working for like a government agency or something like that. She's got her own like PR firm or something along those lines, right? She has I don't know if it's a it's a yeah, I guess it's a PR firm, but it's also kind of the Wonder Woman Corporation. Right. Yeah. Right. She she's marketing herself. It's a very strange concept that actually fits a lot of celebrities mm-hmm. really, really well. And it's actually kind of odd that we haven't seen something like this yet. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised with that pedigree, you know, David E. Kelly and everything. Um, People don't like David E. Kelly. That's weird. I'm surprised that that didn't actually um, make it to air. Um, But I would, you know, love to see his take on, on the series. But it is just so weird that so many people have tried and so many people failed. I mean, even with movies... You know, for a long time there, Joss Whedon was supposed to make a Wonder Woman movie, and well, he he wanted to. Well, he he was signed to, and the studio pulled the plug. I mean, he had he had his his Wonder Woman cast him. He was going to put Kobe uh, Smulders in there as Wonder Woman. Yes, I recall this revelation and thinking, I don't get that. I could see it. I could definitely I, see it. And, I think and, Joss Whedon saw something in her that I didn't see, but that's yeah. fine. I, I, I don't expect to know what he's seeing. But yeah, He obviously likes her. He put her in Avengers and everything. And, but, uh, you know, the studio got cold feet on that one. And But we do actually now have an actual Wonder Woman. Now we do. You know, as part of the new DC cinematic universe, I guess you could call it. <laughs> um, the DCCU. Mm-hmm. The sequel to... Man of Steel, which is being called Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, is going to be. <laughs> That's the title. What do you want me to say? No, I mean it's like every time I hear that title or read that title, like I can't stop laughing. Okay, it is right. amazing. But that that movie is going to feature Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman is going to be played by Gal Gadot of. Furious, waiting for Godot. Six. They're no. waiting for her to show up because yeah. she's smoking hot. She's in Fast Five, Furious. Six. I think she's in a lot of them. She's in. I think she's in Fast and Furious, Fast Five, mm-hmm. and Furious Six. I like my version. 
And she she was really good in those movies, I have to say. I, I think that she's a good choice to play Wonder Woman. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, obviously, I think their hopes are that she's going to take off, and then with the Justice League movie, you know, after that, they can spin her off into her own standalone movie. Oh, yeah. How could they possibly fail? Yeah. So I can think of like a thousand reasons why they probably will. Well, we'll see. I could list at least three TV shows where they they give good evidence for why they will. Okay, all right, <laughs> but you never know. I mean, I, w- I was listening to a podcast uh, a few months ago where they were talking about um, this you know new comic that Grant Morrison is writing, uh, which is now called uh, Wonder Woman: The Trial of Diana Prince. Um, but a few months ago, you mean like just shy of a year ago. Yeah, I mean, it's not out yet, is it? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's Grant Morrison. Yeah. He works on things for decades. So, you know, who knows what his plan is. But the the interview was really interesting because he was kind of talking about going back to the original concept and, and talking about doing research on Marston and and all of his uh, his interesting... Uh, philosophies and stuff like that and trying to incorporate those into uh, the the story. And circumvent a little bit of the awkwardness of the character being kind of impossible to write for because like a character who was intended to be mythic, she was structured in a way that did not allow for yeah. adaptation. And one of the things that they were talking about was, you know, sort of the idea of this being a sort of standalone entry point for the the character, for readers um, who may not be familiar with all of her mythology. And the idea that that's the thing, like right now with all these movies and everything like that, all these comic book properties, and now the fact that, I mean, I think this interview was done before they announced that she was going to be in this movie. But, you know, if you can do that, if you can figure out a way to make this character mainstream and to, you know, make a movie out of it, then, you know, that's sort of like gold right there. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I mean, it, uh, I'm, I'm curious about what Azarello has been doing with it too, but, you know, maybe maybe we've, I mean, I mean, not to say that we haven't uh, thought that we've reached this point in the past, but maybe, you know, there are some people who are on, the cusp of cracking the code of Wonder Woman and figuring out how to do this, which is something that people have been trying to do all the way back to John D.F. Black. I don't think there's anything difficult about it. I don't think I don't think there's anything remotely difficult about making Wonder Woman work. Well, I think the problem is that when she works, she works in a way that comic book readers don't particularly respond to. Maybe, maybe, that's or that readers reject outright violently because they can't deal with it ultimately like we like in order for wonder woman as a comic book to work uh, comic book readers need to be comfortable with the idea of their protagonist finding a dude attractive mm-hmm. and they can't deal with that at all that's so weird <laughs> they can't they all. can't deal with it it's a, it's a woman and they cannot deal with it because the population is just not smart enough to read because it's art. I mean, that's so weird. Like, even just that that psychology. I mean, like, when I was reading comic books, I, I always loved the comic books with, with female 
superheroes, you know, I mean, or even not female superheroes. I mean, Strangers in Paradise was, you know, my favorite comic book in high school. Well, it's because... It's, it's like all women, you well, know? It's it's because you don't... I mean, like, there are plenty of people who read these things because they want to feel like these characters. Yeah. It's, it's weird. a very weird sort of thing. And every once in a while, I, I realize that, like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. And I find it very shocking. I I have no idea why people think James Bond is a character that they want to be like. I don't well, want to be like him. His understand. life looks terrible. I, I can understand that. I mean, there's like, he does a lot of cool stuff that no one else gets to do. Yeah, and and he's he's basically got no life, and yeah. uh, he never gets to sit down and uh, and enjoy a nice tea. Right, but you don't see that stuff. And he does yes, he does and, in the books, by the way. And that is the life that I would like. The life of, of leisure, but he doesn't do that, and uh, and that seems strange. But like, I don't understand the like escapist side of comic books. Like, I was always attracted to the weirdly imaginative, like thinking about weird stuff kind of thing. My favorite comic when I when I just once I discovered it was Swamp Thing. I still think about that. Like, the, those books were my favorite comic book reading experience. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I never once wanted to be him, or even be there. I just thought, like, I love this. This is a fascinating thing to think about. And it's not hard to imagine Wonder Woman working because, honestly, the pieces are there. The problem is the audience. The problem is the publisher who doesn't force the audience to change. The problem is the culture that thinks that it's okay to just be entertaining. The problem is everything other than Wonder Woman. (laughs) Well, maybe Grant Morrison and Brian Azzarello and... Zack Snyder will figure out a way to do this. One of those things is not like the other. Okay. All right. Um, We should also note that there are a lot of Star Trek people involved with this pilot. In addition to John D.F. Black, uh, the movie was directed by Vincent McAviti, who directed six episodes of Star Trek um, throughout the original series' run, including Balance of Terror. Yeah. So that's cool. He did some other things like Patterns of Force and Miri and stuff like that, but Balance of Terror is really the one that stands out. He did episodes with Blank of Blank as the title. Yes. And Dagger of the Mind. He did that one too. Mm, it's mm. a blank, 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 blank. Yeah. Um, and the sort of big bad guy in this was Ricardo Montalban. Yep. Who, of course played Khan in Space Seed and Wrath of Khan. And the interesting thing is, since this was 1974, this is almost exactly halfway in between Space Seed and Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Which so, is why only one half of his chest looks amazing. Yes. and Because and he worked from left to right. One of the things which is cool, which, I mean, this isn't like revolutionary or anything like that, but the way that they kind of conceal his identity throughout uh, the majority of the episode and then reveal his face. Um, yeah, he, he goes by John end. Harrison for a really big chunk of the pilot. Right. It's really stupid. All right, any final thoughts on John D.F. Black's Wonder Woman? I, I, I found it much more interesting than the Wonder Woman show that ended up being a thing. Yeah. Because that was not watchable. Okay. I For me... I think it's an interesting idea. I think that it's uh, weird. I, I, I almost kind of wonder if he was just like, if they were like, hey, do you want to do Wonder Woman? And he's like, sure. 
I have an idea for a different show, and I'm just going to sort of graft that onto Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Right. You got you got look into the look into that period where she was a spy. It's very weirdly close. Okay, that's, that's interesting. But I I think that's what happened. I think that like the the people wanted to make a, a TV show and there were like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. There there was yeah. one. Batman already's been done. Superman is impossible. Well, they had been done too. Well, I mean, also impossible. Yeah. So, like, Wonder Woman seems to be like a nice middle ground. And when you pick up that comic book in the seventies, and you go, "Oh, she's a spy. People love spies. Mm-hmm. Let's do that." Yeah. I don't know if this was when the comic book was like in full swing, or if it had like just started, or if they weren't doing it yet. But Wonder Woman spent a big chunk of the seventies as just a spy. Yeah. Maybe the sixties too. Maybe that would that would fit if it was also the sixties. Yeah. Well, regardless, I, I think the end product doesn't really work. Um, but I would give it the benefit of the doubt uh when it came to checking out more episodes and seeing what what he had plans for throughout the series. Sure. I mean as as sort of um lost adaptations of comic books go. It's a lot better than a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we don't even talk about the Captain America thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't because terrible. We've, we've all been told that we're not allowed to. <laughs> right. It, it wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't Nick Fury. Um, no! Wow! That's a great one. It's definitely... I forgot about that. Yeah. Now I'm having flashbacks. Great. <laughs> this is my Nam. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, if you're a Wonder Woman fan, it would be interesting, I, I imagine, to, to watch this to kind of see how this incarnation differs from others. And if you're kind of a weirdo and you like like the concept of adaptation and figuring out how pieces can be translated, yeah. it's totally worth investigating because it is weird yeah. how they take some things and change them in a way that doesn't seem wrong. Yeah. But on the whole, not very good as just a standalone piece of work. Oh, no, no. It's a TV pilot. Yeah. It shouldn't stand alone. Yeah. All right. Well, it was fun talking about Wonder Woman today, but that's not all that we're talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <laughs> I mean, like, like it's it's been talked about, you know, by Shatner that he's like, oh, I wanted to have the Enterprise find God or something like that. Well, how does that work? You know, well, right. You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't work the way you're doing it in this movie. Earl Grey. What if it was like a geeky tween boy? Data, Data, where are you? They're just like, shut that off. <laughs> Mr. Data, I've got a problem. The Ready Room. When they finally do get rid of Decker, it's on Kirk's personal authority as captain of the Enterprise. And like, it seems to me if you're, say, a captain in the U.S. Navy and an admiral takes command of your ship, you can't just like get rid of him because of your personal authority as captain of the ship. The orb. And, and again, it's, it's something, as, you know, as we said before, the system is not set up to allow him to express that idea in any other way. But by the spectacle of this trial, which would presumably be impossible to hide, it is a way for him to express this alternate viewpoint that maybe the, the morality of his society is uh, is under threat. To the journey! We are here to talk to you about a very heavy-handed topic. This is kind of a dark area for us. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about death and Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. 
when they thaw out the pod people and they say, why, what year is it? And Data says, why, it's the Earth year 2364. I fell off my chair 47 <laughs> times. It's like, they just put the, oh, my, okay, okay. Warp 5. Archer doesn't close himself off to any possibility. He takes the evidence and comes to the best choice that he can. And that's not always easy for anyone, but that's the kind of person that Degra is, too. Melodic tricks. In fact, it had two versions of the theme, one which ran from seasons one to three, and one which ran from season four onwards. Now, some people prefer the first music with the poignancy of the lone trumpet, others prefer the second incarnation. Continuing mission. If we were to sort of able to rewrite the canon, the uniforms we've got, they were the uniforms in the middle of Enterprise and TOS. But because they were designed during a time when peace wasn't as prosperous as it is in the original series, the uniforms did have a bit more of a militaristic look to them. Literary tricks. You know what I love about comics, though, sometimes, is what happened here in this panel with Beverly and Troy Clearly, Troy's stunt double wandered into the scene. I was going to say, is that Troy? (laughs) (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. Or you can stream and download files directly from the website. You can also go to iTunes.com slash Trek.fm and find all of the shows right there on our handy little artist page. So uh, be sure to, to go over there and, and take a look. And while you're there, uh, leave us some feedback, because why not, right? So Wonder Woman is definitely a big part of, of pop culture and in, in everything oh, like that. She's intended to be. She's intended to be, and, and so much so that uh, some people have even, um, would you say, called her out in titles for their sort of biography thingies. People like Olivia Munn, who titled her book, Suck It, Wonder Woman, The Misadventures of a Hollywood Geek. And you can get Olivia Munn's book on uh, audible.com for free since you're a listener to Trek FM. Um, It says here, Suck It, Wonder Woman brings Olivia Munn's unique humor, incredible wit, and lightning-fast costume changes to a world that needs more scrapbooking, sea monkeys, and for the love of God, a freaking hoverboard. And you can get this book for free since you're a listener to Trek FM on audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank you and Audible for supporting Commentary, Trekstars, and Trek.fm. As always, you can find us right here on Trek.fm, where we do this show, and you can also find me on Trek.fm doing Standard Orbit with Drew, and you can find both Max and myself on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Trackstars off-topic with our friend Brandon. 
And you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Now, I know that we said that this week we were going to be covering Benny Russell, but we obviously didn't. So I'm thinking probably not next week, probably the week after we'll do Benny Russell. Next week, I think we're probably going to look at the one movie which Gene Roddenberry actually wrote, which is Roger Vadim's Pretty Maids All in a Row. Mm-hmm.